Nico. How are you? Uh, it could be better. What about you? Pretty much same. I We broke down the playhouse in the backyard and put it all out to the street and had a and got a call from City Hall today telling us that we had to take all the nails and screws and metal pieces off of it, cut the wood into four-foot pieces, and bundle it and put it on the curb for them to pick it up. That sounds like more pain in the ass I'm willing to deal with. I spent four and a half hours taking screws and nails and staples out of crap, and I'm only... About a third of the way done with that. Good job. Yeah. It was fabulous. I literally brought the entire box of wine outside, set it on a chair, and <laughs> was like, screw it. I'm done. I'm pretty sure at one point I just started crying, and Andrew was like, what's wrong? And I'm like... <laughs> Why is it that no matter how hard I clean, there's still a giant mess that I have to clean up after somebody else? Well, I mean, I'm just saying, I mean, you live with technically four kids, your husband, and then your three toddlers. What did you expect during that cross-country move? Ugh. I did not, well... I didn't expect to be drinking this much. Who am I kidding? We're in quarantine. I'm moving across the country. I'm running a podcast. I'm trying to figure out my freaking life. You know, hi, this is me. And this is fabulous. I'm out of all of my ink wine now. Oh, God. You realize that you need to probably get a little bit more just to get through the rest of the move. Well, I've got a box downstairs, and Andrew's going to pick me up another box or two tomorrow at work. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I prefer the Wink wine because it tastes better and it has a higher alcohol content. But... Box wine is cheaper. It really is. I mean, I have to drink half the box to get the same effect as the bottles that I normally would get, but it's whatevs. <laughs> Great. Hopefully, I'll get mine back at some point. Kind of holding off on that for a little bit, but yeah. We'll yeah. After. I've got my, that's the wonderful thing about Wink. You can, like, suspend it for a month if you need to. Or, you know, just continue to suspend it until you get everything straight. And, and this is not an ad. They're not a sponsor. But, you know, it'd be really awesome if they were. Because then this could be an ad. You hear me, Wink? This could be an ad. And you could be making money. And we could be making money, and we need the money. Please be a sponsor, please. <laughs> or knows we do need the money. Oh, yeah. Why well, are there two of you? Oh, there doesn't need to be two of me. And this is why you guys don't get live, because usually like three of Jess. The world can barely handle like one of me. They definitely don't need two. No, anytime we added her to a Zoom 
excuse me, Zoom meeting, she ended up in a meeting by herself, and it kept saying, I'm not allowed to invite anybody else, so she was just left in a meeting room by herself to talk to herself. And I did. I talked to myself. Hey, Zoom, we can sponsor you, too, okay? You can be a sponsor, too, because we know an awesome commercial about having meetings all by ourselves. Yep, if you ever need some alone time, call Jess. <laughs> You'll be in a meeting all by yourself. Yeah, slight interruption here. I have a pesky little dog who's been eyeballing the snack bag. There you go. Sophie is not pesky. She's a brat. <clears throat> so, what are we talking about today? Well, we're on episode seven, which is really good because. I've done, like, a lot of research since we're new podcasters, and if anybody's listening, I know our audio's not the best. I know we're not the best at this. We're not professionals, but damn it, we're trying. I'm certified. Lord. Yes, we know you're a lord. Hey, my certificate came in the mail. I'm a lord. (laughs) Oh, my God. Bonus content for anybody who insists on calling me Lord, just to piss Jessica off. Uh, It doesn't really piss me off. It's just one of those exasperating things. Like, really? Really? Do we have to do this? Do we really have to be a Lord? Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'll admit, it is slightly badass. I I will never admit it's full badassery. You know this. Well, just wait until you go to uh, look at something at Grayson's school, and it says Lord Grayson on it. Oh, do not do that. He's already a self-entitled little thing. Thinks he is the king of this castle. Tell our our viewers how he just fell asleep on you, snoring, and as soon as you moved, he woke up. Yep, yep. He, like, came up and was like... I could tell he was tired. He's like, I need a hug. I was like, all right, buddy. And he just, like, didn't move. And next thing I know, he's just like, in my ear. And, like, 45 minutes later, I'm like, whew, I've really got to pee. This job's got to move. Oh, my God, I can't move. So I get him off of me. I get his sister to bring me a pillow and a blanket, and I lay him down. He's nice and still, and he's still snoring. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I come out, and he is sitting up looking at me, and he goes, Where'd this pillow and blanket come from? You knew better, Mom. He's like, no. Pillow and blanket are not good enough for me. I need my mattress living. Yeah, exactly. Good job. It's okay. Later on the day, Sophie did the exact same bullshit with me in my arm, and I couldn't text my left arm. Yep. So, anyway, now you guys know about our current lives. Um... Uh, Episode 7, that's what we were talking about, and how we know we're not the best at this, but we're doing a lot of research, and we are really, like, learning as we go, and as much as we hate doing that, because it really does aggravate both of us, I promise, we, I, a lot of um, teaching to podcasts and stuff like that have said that most podcasters fail because they don't make it past their seventh episode. Well, here we are at seventh, guys. Seventh episode. We're gonna make it past this, and we're gonna we're gonna 
get better. I promise. And I also have some news that Jess, <clears throat> Jess doesn't even quitely know. Um, I just submitted the approval for us to get us on Apple Podcast. Woo! So 24 to 48 hours on that, and we are still working on Patreon. The donations that you'll be doing to get exclusive clips, different you know stuff like that, we are in the process of working on. Um, like I said, that is going to be if a big you make case, a donation, right? I will crochet you something special. Very, very, very special because there is the downside to beginning podcasts is that we are literally in like either garages, barns, and bedrooms and stuff like that, just trying to get some information out to you. So, yeah. yeah. And there's not a lot going on in my life anyway right now. So, we're going to go with it. <laughs> it's okay. I have enough going on in my life for everybody. Yeah, basically. Well, I mean, there's always chance of. Depending on things, I may end up moving to Georgia with Jess. Which would be fabulous. I really think you should. Uh, yeah, so your podcasters might be together here soon. In fact, I couldn't sleep last night, so I started looking up jobs. And Columbus is hiring for correctional officers. Wait, they really are? Yeah. Send me the link after we... Okay, disregard this part, guys. (laughs) (laughs) I got you, boo. Okay. All right. So, so for this topic this this week, we got axe murderers. Basically, some of the most gruesome, disgusting monsters you can think of. When yeah. you think of an axe murderer, just what comes to mind? Um. Honestly, what comes to mind is uh, the Shining, the door. Here's Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the that's first thing that pops in my head. Yeah, no, that's a good interaction. Some of our shows, I'm going to start beginning, like, what, what is your definition? And when we become, you know, doing live shows, we're going to ask you guys. So definitely um, definitely have an opinion ready, but I'm going to experiment with Jess on this one. So, a couple more questions there. What is the most famous axe to be killed by? There's different types of axes. Mm-hmm. But what's the most common? A wood axe. <laughs> like the one you chop wood with. And my least really? Well, you were you were well kinda close. Um it's actually going to be think of the name here. The Jackson axe. Oh, you were looking for brand name? Yeah. Oh, I don't know brand names of the clothes I wear, much less the axes people get killed by. Well, think about our recent episode with the Winchester Mansion. How the Winchester rifle. You know what I mean? That's where I was going. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, One more trivia for you. When was Lizzie Andrew Borden born? A long time ago. I'm gonna get a buzzer. <laughs> we need a buzzer. Lizzie, Lizzie Andrew Borden was born July 19th in 1860. Now, I know you guys have heard about the Lizzie Borden murders and kind of what took place, and there's been a bunch of different movies that. Speaking of nursery rhymes about Lizzie Borden, 
everybody knows Lizzie Borden. What's the nursing rhyme? Nursery rhyme. You don't know the nursery rhyme with Lizzie I Borden? I don't. It sounds it. creepy as hell. I can't believe I'm going to do this on, like, freaking air. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her father 40 wax. When she saw what she'd done, she gave her mother 41. Awesome. Me, I used to sing that to my baby sister all the time. Her name is Elizabeth. Good point, but still. Way to torment your siblings. Oh, I don't, yeah. So, here's the fun fact. So, when she, when Lizzie Borden was born, she was born as Lizzie. She lived in Oak Grove. Wait, 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 wait. She was born as what? What? It kind of glitched for a minute. She was born as what? She was born as Lizzie Andrew Borden. Okay. It kind of went Liz, eh, 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 eh. Oh, God. Okay. She was born in 92nd Street in Fall River, Massachusetts. Of course, we all love our damn Massachusetts. She was part of a very well-to-do family. She pretty much got what she wanted. However, her and her father absolutely despised each other. She kept pigeons as pets in the backyard and took really good care of them, actually. Um, her father grew up in a modest surrounding, struggled financially as a young man, despite being a descendant of wealthy and influential local residents. He eventually prospered to manufacture sales of furniture and caskets. Went on to become a successful property developer. He directed several textile mills, including the Globe Yarn Mill Company, Troycon, and Woolen Manufacturing. Now, around this time, based on modern day numbers, he his house and his worth were about eight million five hundred forty thousand at this time. So he was a very well-to-do man. Not yeah. a good yeah. his off. I'm kind of jelly that he owned a a yarn thing, though. I'm kind of <laughs> jealous. We'll backtrack to you. <laughs> Borden, her older sister, Emma Lenora Borden, who was born in 1857, had a relatively religious upbringing, upbringing attended Central Congregational Church. As a young woman, they were very involved in church activities, um, and for which they served as secretary treasurer and was a member of the Ladies' Fruit and Flower Mission. I want to be a part of the Fruit and Flower Mission. Fruit and Flower Mission. That's a... That's, that's an interesting group right there. That that's that, that that's gonna be our new thing. That's it. That's what we're renaming the group: the Fruit and Flower Mission. It's better than what it was a spaghetti burrito. No, the the, the crying, crying burrito. Anyway, I love that day. <laughs> notice how I haven't mentioned Lizzie's mother, only her father. Lizzie and her sister were born to the same woman, but three years after after the death of Lizzie's mother, Sarah, Andrew married Abby DeFree Gray. Um, they were married between 1828 to 1892. Lizzie says she called her stepmother Miss Borden and demurred on whether they had a cordial relationship. She believed that Abby had married her father for his wealth. Sounds like my story. 
Oh, we ain't talking about your stepmama. Mm. 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 My aunt is way different than your aunt. Cue the song. Casey's mom has got it going on. <laughs> I hate this woman. <laughs> anyway, continuing Back on. Back to singing crap to torture people. <laughs> on the way here. So, Lizzie was already pretty pissed off that, you know, and her sister was very polite. That was the thing. Her sister didn't have much of a play in any of this. Lizzie had recently built a roost rest for the pigeons, and it had been commonly recounted that she was upset over that the fact her father killed them and decapitated them just because he was mad. Oh, who does that? Who kills pigeons? <laughs> First off, who keeps pigeons? Second off, who kills pigeons because they're mad? I mean, what did the pigeons do? Did they coo too loudly? Because I promise you those freaking birds outside my bedroom window this morning almost got killed. It was 5 o'clock in the morning, and they're all like, tweet, 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 tweet. And I'm like, no. Y'all, no. if I move down to Georgia with her, you realize what I'm going to do the first day? I'm going to tweet, tweet out her window, and it's going to be amazing. I wouldn't do that. You might get shot. <laughs> so on to more gruesome stuff. We're going to fast forward to August 4th, 1892. Um, now, during this time, the family had become even wealthier. And and the wealth was not going to be going to the daughters. It was supposed to be going to the uncle, his brother. The thing is, the brother, he had wasted every penny to his name. He was the worst person you could ever give money to. But he was in. he was supposed to take care of all the women back then back then, if something happened to her father. Well, he started making um, mysterious messages show up on their doorstep and thinking that they would think that there was a killer and they would move. Well, come to find out, it was actually the brother. And Lizzie found out about it. Lizzie had also befriended a new housemaid, Bridget or Maggie, during this time. This is where it gets a little, where you want to go with this. History says one thing, movies say another. There's a, supposedly there was a love affair between Lizzie and Maggie. Yeah, that's the story I want to go with. So the original, I'm going to give you the plot, and I'm going to tell you what happened after. The original plot was that at 9 a.m., Lizzie was going to give Miss Borden a letter letting her know to go to the church, which she did, and started to get dressed. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, back then, if you murdered the women, woman of the house first, then all the money still stays with the father. If you murdered the father first, it, all the money goes to the wife. So yeah. it had to be very strategic. So we killed her first. She got down completely naked, took the axe, and hacked her up. That's damn. Yeah, and five minutes later, that's when she went over to Maggie. Can you do this? Can you do this? Supposedly, Maggie was going to kill the father. I'm backtracking even more. Maggie had it out for the father because she had been raped by Mag by the father, as the wife, the evil stepmother, slept in the other room. Well, back then. 
the maids and stuff like that, it was basically these elderly gentlemen. I don't even I don't even like the word gentlemen for them because they're all a bunch of cocksuckers. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, I am man. And they thought that they could just take advantage of the women because, well, I pay for you. Yeah. You're nothing better than a prostitute to me. This one, I guess, was only a sight bit better just because he gave her a raise after. And it no. says, though, in, no. the, in the history. No. No. It was like, what He's the fuck? Why would you do that? So what ended up happening, she was like, well, Maggie, can you do it? Can you do it? Maggie got undressed about an hour after this is happening. Keep in mind, Miss What's-Her-Face is still bleeding in the back back of her bedroom. Nobody's home. And she strips, starts to strip down, grabs the murder weapon, and she pauses. As he is trying to calm her down, saying she's having a spell, Lizzie comes out from the corner, dressed at this point, and just knocks him out. Kills him, puts him on the couch, and nicely slits a nice fluffy pillow under his head by the time the cops come. So at this point, there were wills made. However, most of the wills magically disappeared, leaving the entire estate to Lizzie and her sister and nothing to the brother. If that's not, like, some seriously damning evidence against Lizzie and her sister, I don't know what is. But personally, I don't believe that Lizzie did it. So here's the thing. Lizzie's Borden's initial answers to the police at the time were strange and contradictory. Initially, she reported hearing a groan or scraping noise or distress call. Two hours later, she told the police she heard nothing and entered the house, not realizing that anything was wrong. When asked about her stepmother, where she was, she recounted Abby receiving a note asking her to visit a sick friend. She also stated that she thought Abby had returned, and if someone could go upstairs to look for her. Sylvan and neighbor Mrs. Churchill were halfway up the stairs, their eyes level with the floor, when they looked in the guest room and saw Abby laying down. Despite the her attitude and changing alibis, nobody bothered to check for bloodstains. We don't check for bloodstains, apparently. Um, police well, back did then, they didn't really have that many forensics. It was just I like... I think it would have leashed walks. You know? But I mean, if they looked at you, they're like, well, you just killed them with an axe, so you should be drenched in blood, and obviously you're not. So, have a nice no, day, No, no, what she did was actually take, she went and chopped her own pigeon's heads off at this point, found two of them, chopped them after she had max murdered her husband, her uh, father, and her stepmother to, com- to combine the pigeon feathers to human blood DNA because they were not at that technological advance at that point. Yeah. So, however, none of these tools were removed from the house because of the mysterious illness that struck in the household before the murders. The family's milk in Andrew's and Abby's stomachs during autopsies were tested for poison. None were found. Lizzie and Emma's friend Alice Russell decided to stay with them the night following the murders, while Moore spent the night in the attic. You see, 
Say he saw both women exit the cellar after which Borden returned alone, though he was unable to see what she was doing. On August 5th, Morse left the house and was mobbed by hundreds of people. Police to escort him back to the house. So here's oh, where he gets hold up. the night after the murder, after everything's gone down, Lizzie's friends are like, let's have a sleepover. Yeah. <laughs> That sounds like something we'd do. <laughs> it is. Why would we do that? Why is this so realistic? Like, we'd be the ones to be like, dude, your family got chopped up by some crazy person with an axe. Can I co stay tonight? <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Borden's trial took place in New Bedford starting on June 5th, 1893. Prosecuting. Accusing- Prosecuting attorneys Huiza Knowlton and future United States Supreme Court Justin William H. Moody, Melvin O. Adams, and former Massachusetts Governor George D. Robinson. So some big wigs on this one. Five days before the trial's commencement, June 1st, another axe murder occurred in Fall River. This time, the victim was Bertha Manchester, who was hacked to death in her kitchen. The similarities between the Manchester and the Borden's murders were strikingly noted. However, Jose Corella de Mello, a Portuguese immigrant, was later convicted of Manchester murder in 1884. It was determined to not have been um, convicted of the Borden murders. Ultimately, when they looked at all the evidence, basically what they said that the... It couldn't have been her because of how much of a socialite she was. Well, I can. I, 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 I don't think that would be why I would say it wasn't her. But if she did do it, I mean, kind of props to her for actually standing up and being like, you know, because from what I have heard and read and everything else about it, her and Maggie, the maid, were actually really good friends. So, if she honestly 100% believed that her stepmother had only married her father for his money and saw her as kind of that evil stepmother, and then her dad's like this douche who's raping her best friend, yeah, I'd, I'd probably whack him with an axe. Yeah. Basically, the presiding associate justice, uh, Justin Dewey, who had been appointed by Robinson, delivered a lengthy summary that supported defense as his charged jury before it was sent to deliberate. An hour and a half deliberation, the jury acquitted Borden of the murders. Upon exiting the courthouse, told the reporter she was the happiest woman in the world. The trial has been compared to later trials of Bruno Hopton, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, and as famous or infamous. The O.J. Simpson trial. O.J. Later on, there's been different theories as to whether or not Maggie and Lizzie ever got back together. Everything I researched saying they left, you know, two separate notes, never to discuss this ever again. Yeah, from what I saw looking into it, they just kind of went their separate ways. Um, Actually, I saw something talking about how... Lizzie and her sister had went and bought this fabulous mansion and lived, like, these super rich, fabulous socialite lives. 
And she had actually become obsessed with a uh, female actress at one point, and there was rumor of them two being together. But, you know, back then they didn't actually believe that people could be gay, so. Yeah. That was just a demon. Get an exorcism, you'll be fine. That's Jess's uh, reaction, is just get an exorcism and call it a day. I really hope nothing happens to me, because I won't make it, y'all. Just get an exorcism, you'll be alright. Burn some sage! (laughs) Just burn some sage, it'll all be fine. Uh, Your dad's girlfriend is going to walk into the house one day in the bar and be like, why are y'all saging my barn? When in doubt... Sage it out. I'm pretty sure that's not actually something. But is it, it is your turn. My turn. Alright. When was yours dated? Like, when when did it happen? He has a mouthful of food. This is hilarious. He's like trying to chew as quickly as possible and not laugh at the same time. I thought you were going to start your story. That's why I went ahead and put food in my mouth. You ask me questions. I'm going to ask you questions. Okay, let me eat my food. <laughs> Introduce I, your story. My story is the Saxton Town Slaughter. Oh, my. Friday, March 27th, 1874, the Belleville Advocate in Southern Illinois, a paper recorded... At this time, a story of horror and depravity, as they called it. The Stelzrid, it's it's German, so y'all bear with me. The Stelzrid family had immigrated to southern Illinois in an incorporated area outside of Milstead called Saxton, about nine miles south of Belleville. They had immigrated in from Germany. The family consisted of Carl, at age 70, his son Frederick, or Fritz, who's 25, Fritz's wife Anna, and their children, Carl and Anna, who were three and seven months old. Saxton in 1874 was just like a really tiny, close-knit collection of families that had Basically, all immigrated over. They were trying to farm the land and survive in the midst of, like, this big depression. And on March 17th, 1874, their neighbor, Benjamin Schneider. Schneider. There's a lot of extra letters in there just for Schneider. I see this. Well, he came over to ask about some, like, seed potatoes. Because when you grow potatoes, you don't, like, throw out seeds. You seed a potato. It's it's a whole thing, y'all. She's country. And he, like, walks up to their little log cabin house. And he realizes the farm is quiet. Like, there's no one walking around. There's no animals out of the barn they haven't been fed there's no water out 
everything is called. And like he just said, I'm country. If you show up on the farm and it's quiet, that is unnerving as fuck. So Ben walks up, knocks on the door. He's like, well, nobody's answering. Peeks in the window. He's like, well, don't see nobody. So, of course, I, I don't understand this. Because if somebody came over to my house and knocked on my door and I didn't answer, they'd just be like, oh, well, not here. Yeah. But this dude's, like, peeking in windows, and he realized, and he just walks in the front door. And, well, thank goodness he did. Because when he walked in, he saw Carl Sheldridge laying in a pool of blood, cut from ear to ear, nearly decapitated with his son Frederick, or Fritz, whose skull had been smashed and his throat slashed. Anna and the, th- and the children had all been bludgeoned to death with what was believed to be an axe because of the slash-like motions in the uh, mess. Jesus. Like, I don't know a better way to put that, y'all. It's, it was just, it's bad. And here's the thing. When he found this family, the bodies were all found cold. Now, for a body to be found cold, it had to be there for a while. Like, um, Google says it takes around 12 hours for the human body in a cool touch and 24 to the core. Yes, I did some extra research. Well, this small German community was absolutely shook. Like, the New York Times had it plastered as their headlines, and the police are going crazy trying to figure out what happened. Because this entire family's been killed, brutally bludgeoned with an axe. Yeah, really, shit. Well, they start looking at some events before the Steldridge family was slaughtered to try to figure out a motive. And they found out about six weeks before the murder, a German farmer was shot and killed in broad daylight. Later, another farmer was nearly beaten to death in his wagon. So they thought it was somebody out to take out German immigrants. And I can't say that's the first time in American history that some jackass has just been like, I don't like other people in my country. (laughs) Apparently, white men think this is their country. (sighs) And unfortunately, it won't be the last time. Yeah. But there was other events they thought could have led to this family's brutal demise. Frederick Steldred had told some friends that he had just received a substantial inheritance from a family member who had died in Germany. The Steldred estate was reportedly worth several thousand dollars at the time of the murder. And back in the 1800s, several thousand equals several hundred thousand to maybe a couple million now. I couldn't do the, like... Um, um, 
that thing where you figure out how much money from back then is worth today. Right. Yeah. I couldn't do that because I didn't have an exact amount. But, you know, please start to figure out, theorize that, you know, the murderer was actually a family member who intended to eliminate the heirs so they could get it. But after more investigation, this started to look a little iffy as well. Like, well, maybe, maybe not, you know. Uh, seeing as very little was taken from the home, they thought that, you know, this is definitely a personal attack, which also leading to this theory, and this is the part that got me all... There was one survivor of the murder. He was found laying sadly beside the bodies, the family dog named Monk. Monk had a habit of being vicious to strangers and was an excellent guard dog. But since he had not intact the intruder and he wasn't injured, it must have been someone he knew. Yeah, exactly. Which instantly made all friends and family suspect. Yeah. The dog knows you. At this time, there was two separate rewards of $1,000 that were being offered to solve the crime. But, unfortunately, even today, this just makes a bigger mess. Because now everybody wants to stick their nose in it hoping to get a piece of the money. Like, private investigators started just flocking to the area trying to claim this big prize money, you know, giving police tips on nearly everyone. Like, they're just walking around going, oh, I saw this guy walking past their house three days ago. It must have been him. And Yeah. Uh, oh, he bumped into somebody in the market, and they looked at him mad, so it must have him been him. And it's all sorts of crazies. Jesus. Well, Frederick Boltz who had a poor reputation in Saxon prior to this, was the first name on the list. Bolts had married Annis Steldrick's sister and had borrowed $200 from the family and never paid it back. The debt led to long-standing feud with Fritz. And police theorized Bolts believed he would inherit the family farm and money if he was the only living relative giving him a motive. Mm. Well, he also liked to keep a big pouch of tobacco on him. And inside the home, police found some of his tobacco with blood on it. Outside, they discovered footprints leading away from the house. Next to the footprints, now this is some horror movie shit, y'all. Next to the footprints, there were large marks on the ground that officers speculated had been where someone was dragging the axe as they walked away. Oh, dear God. For more than a mile, police tracked the prints to see where they led, and along the trail, they found his pouch of tobacco covered with blood. Mm. They walked and walked until the footprints came to a stop. Right at Boltz's front door. After initially resisting arrest, Boltz was charged with murder. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, this is the end of the story. It's not. 
Why? What happened? At his trial, according to the paper, he almost fainted at the ghastly sight when showed pictures of the body. And for reasons that nobody really knows, like, they're just kind of lost. The jury found Bolts not guilty. Like, there's literally footsteps, blood, his tobacco pouch going from their house to his house, all right there. And they're like, nah, nah, bro's not guilty. It wasn't him. It wasn't him. What the fuck? Couldn't be him. He later sued the Steldridge estate and was awarded $400. He moved away from Saxon, and that's the last we hear of Bolts. Like, they think he might have changed his name because that ne- he was never heard or seen again. He probably changed his name if he was smart. Next so. on the list of suspects was a friend of Bolts hmm. named John Afkin who was occasionally worked for the Steldrick family occasionally, and like Bolts, had a little bit of a long-running grudge against Fritz. Yeah. Apparently, everybody in this town hated Fritz, and everybody wanted to kill them. So, I fuck Fritz. Fritz Fritz. Mm. Afkin was a really large and powerful man who made his living cutting wood with an axe. So, once again, we're going, wait, maybe it wasn't Bolts, it was this guy. That's why why they didn't think to charge the original guy. Afton was also known to have a bad temper and was feared by most people in the town. But there's this one thing about him that stood out to the police. Mm. In the evidence when at the scene, there was a bright red clump of hair found in Carl Stedrick's hand. John Askin had bright red hair. So he must be the murderer. Not, not exactly. So they're like, all right, yeah. that's it. He did it. <clears throat> yeah. For some reason, again, that no one knows he was released. Oh my god. Like, I even went and pulled, like, the original articles from the head, like, the newspapers from this town that no longer exists to try and figure it out. I'm like, oh, well, maybe, you know, whoever's reporting on these, where I'm getting my notes from, they just, you know, didn't see yeah. something. No! There's just no reason they're like, not wanting him either. But unlike Bolts, Afkin stayed in town. Mm-hmm. And there's like this little urban legend, apparently. I guess you'd call it that. It's like this little thing that people said he did after the trial. He would walk around showing off this really fancy gold pocket watch. And when anyone asked him where he got it, he wouldn't answer he just kind of grin at him and keep moving. Apparently, apparently, Carl Stedrick had an identical one right before his death and had been in town showing it off. So, yeah, yeah he got do it. guilty AF, man. It's just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. OJ. But, but, like, but, like, eight more people were brought in as suspect and all released. For no reasons... 
No one knows the reasons. Personally, I think we together since they were, it says they were friends and both of them had a grudge against Fritz. I think they did it together. That's more plausible, to be honest, and I think they played that double jeopardy game real well. Yeah. And on March 22nd, 1874, more than a thousand people. Now, remember, this is like an itty-bitty-bitty town, like an immigrant town of farmers. So we're talking maybe, maybe it has a thousand people in it. Mm-hmm. A thousand people, more than a thousand people showed up for the Steldridge family's burial. And of course, I looked it up to try and figure out where this original house was, and it no longer stands. Damn it. But the new owners of the property have reported strange sounds in the middle of the night that sound like chopping and banging. So this is where your fundraising comes in. If you want to see me and Jess in action with the GoPro out in the middle of the woods and recording live for you, please support us. Yeah, we will wow. so do this. We okay, will. Po- like, we are the two that would do that. Like so. Zach Baggins, eat your heart out. We got this. Yeah. No. Trust me. If there's any places you want us to investigate once we get running on this podcast. You fundraise some of our equipment. We will absolutely. We have a running list of all the places we want to do. Yeah, like investigations. Running list as well as the equipment. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, we've got some equipment. GoPro. Um, apparently, a dude named Pincer, Pister, Pister, P I S T O R. Wrote a pister. Pister pissed. P I S T O R. It's like he was almost a pastor, but he got pissed about it because he wasn't. So like, maybe he had to go take a piss and then he lost the promotion to be a pastor. Now then he's a pister. He's <laughs> a pister. Lumbers. But anyway, he wrote a book about it and apparently. He said weird things occur on or near the anniversary of the murder in the area. In an interview with a BD, BND reporter, Wally Spears, Pister, who completely like did extensive research to write his book, said it was out in the middle of the nowhere and it was almost impossible to get there. The roads were nearly impossible. The family had to have been targeted. Yeah. So, for it to be that far out, and even back then when everything was in the middle of the no- nowhere, for it to be extra in the middle of nowhere, that that wasn't a, we just happened upon this farm and decided to kill some folks murder. That was, we know these people and we're going to go kill them murder. Right. Exactly. The, but, the good news uh, with mine is my house is actually still standing and I've actually been to the Lizzie Borden house. I haven't. It's, it's on my list. It is, um, it's in Fall River, Massachusetts. I was there for, uh, Salem, Massachusetts for Halloween. So when we went over to Lizzie Borden, it's a bed, breakfast, and museum. 
It's mm-hmm. if you guys ever get the chance to go, it's totally worth it. Saw the couch the guy freaking died on. <laughs> yeah, I watched the BuzzFeed Unsolved on it. <laughs> and we'll cle- we'll have a link. You can do a virtual museum link. We'll leave that on the group as well too for you guys. Awesome. The Belleville Advocate predicted in ni- in 1874 the Saxton murder will pass into history with the additional word mystery pinned to its name. Hmm. I don't think it's a mystery. I think both <laughs> Afghan did it. Yeah. I really like, don't feel like that's a mystery at all. Like, they're friends. One of them's a big guy that works with an axe. The other one's, like, some shady dude. Yeah. They did it. Yeah. Very much so. It's not a mystery. What's a mystery is how they got off on it. That, that, like, you know, I'm maybe, this. get this. How about we don't have our next week's topics yet, right? We or don't? Do we? We, I don't think we do. How about next week? I'm going to put a poll on the group page. We're going to try to get more interaction here. And we're lo- we're looking for is true mysteries, like unsolved true crime. If you want us to explore it and maybe even look into some of the details that have already been publicly announced, let us know. We'll go oh, into well, the topic. Oh, we're going to a few episodes on Unsolved. It's just, we ain't got that far yet. Well, we're going to You told me I could choose. That I could choose. Okay, then. We're doing Unsolved, and if you guys don't pick anything, you make us pick it, and really, come on, do you really want you that? Please don't make Jessica pick things. That's how we end up with aliens and Jason Fabaka. And cannibalism. Alright, All right, so guys, so... that was Bad Nerves and Box Wine. I hope you guys enjoyed and have a nice Friday. You too. Bye now. <laughs> Bye. And that was our podcast, Bad Nerves and Boxed Wine. You can also listen to us on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, and Spotify. We're working on getting iTunes and iHeartRadio. But for now, thanks for listening. Be sure to send us an email or even comment and tell us what you think at badnervesandboxedwine at gmail.com. Thanks.